Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. I lead this organization called Winning at Home, so normally when I speak, I talk about marriage and family. And so, however you fit into that scenario, everybody here is part of a family. So, just open your mind and your heart to what God would say today. This message I'm going to share is a simple message. It started for me when I was probably six or seven years old. I was a little boy. I was sitting by my mom in church. Uh, The pastor was up preaching. And we had a small church. I mean, on a friend day, we would have like 50 people. It was a small church in Six Mile, South Carolina. And I remember I would lean over against my mom. And my mom, I'm so thankful for this. She was a little bit of a bigger lady. And so her, her arm was like a pillow. It was so nice because if the preacher was boring, it was sweet. It was just nice. And so I was laying on my mom. And the preacher began to preach. And he read from... The book of Matthew, he told a little bit of a story of, of Jesus in the transfiguration, and then he talked about the fact that there was this epileptic boy, and the boy could not be healed, and the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, why can't we heal this boy? And Jesus said these words, and I remember the preacher reading, saying these words, and I'm just, you know, like six, seven years old, but when I heard it, I was like, wow, that's crazy when he said it. That's why I thought, wow, that's crazy stuff. Listen to these words that the preacher read from Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. He said, Jesus saying this, I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to a mountain, mountain, move from there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, I'm just six or seven years old, and the preacher reads that, and I'm thinking in my mind, wow, I got a lot of power. I can move mountains. Because I just a little kid, we, we grew up on a farm, and so I had planted mustard seed. I knew what it was. Aiden's going to throw a picture up on the screen of a hand with a mustard seed in it. I mean, come on. I thought to myself, surely I got that much faith. Jesus said, all you need is a mustard seed. And so in my mind, I could move mountains. So I took that message the pastor said, and I took it home that night, and I remember mom put me to bed, and school was the next morning, and I, I don't know about y'all, but my mom always put me to two bed, bed way too early. The sun was still up. I could still see his daylight outside. That's not fair. And I was laying in bed, and out my little window in South Carolina, my little house, there was a little window faced east, and there's a mountain called Six Mile Mountain, and I could see it. And I'm laying in bed, and everything the pastor said came back to me. I'm going, hang on a second. I got a mountain right here. I can try this out. I can move this mountain. And so in my little six-year-old mind, I thought what I wanted to do, and I began to pray a little prayer. I got up on my bed, and I folded my hands. I said, Jesus, well, this morning the preacher said that if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could move a mountain. Surely, Lord, surely I got that much faith. So, Lord, I'm going to do something that's going to be quite shocking for the community right now. I'm going to 
Mom and dad are going to probably run in here and tell me what happened because I'm going to move that mountain. And I said, Jesus, I'm asking you. I just child. I just little kid. I took scripture very literally. And I said, so, Lord, would you move that mountain? When I open my eyes, I know it's going to be gone. It's going to be really weird, but I pray it in your name. Amen. And I looked up, and that thing was still sitting right there. And I got to tell you where my mind went. I got to tell you where my mind went. Wow. I guess I don't have enough faith. And this morning, there are some of you who over the course of your life have wondered, maybe I have what I have because my faith's too small. And today, I want to talk about that. Because you see, my pastor, when I was six or seven, did not give me the full context of this verse, which I have the privilege of sharing with you this morning. What I did not understand was where Jesus was standing. Jesus was standing at a place. He had just walked down the side of the mountain with his disciples, and he was standing at a place where probably somewhere over his shoulder in the backdrop, there was this mountain called the Herodian. You can Google this up later if you'd like to. The Herodian was a man-made mountain built by King Herod. Herod, very famous, as you know his name, when I say it. He wanted to be remembered as the greatest king ever, and when he died, he wanted to build a mountain to put himself in so everybody would be able to look and go, wow, the king built that mountain. So he had all the slaves bring together all the dirt, and they moved all these little molehills, and they built a mountain called the Herodian, it's about seven miles from Jerusalem. It's still there today. You can look a picture of it. And when he died, he buried himself there. Well, somebody buried him there. And when Jesus said, hey, disciples, I want you all to understand that if you just have enough faith in me, the faith of even a mustard seed, watch this. He said, you, you guys need to know you're going to go out in the world and you're going to do even greater things. You can even move mountains. And he referred back to the Herodian. And what he was saying to his disciples was, man-made stuff, because that mountain was man-made, man-made stuff can be pretty impressive, but it ain't nothing compared to what you can have if you just have a mustard seed of me. That's what Jesus was saying. And today, some of y'all are dealing with a mountain. I don't know what it is. I really did pay play close attention as you walked in today. There was a family walked across the very back. I, I don't know where you're sitting right now, but I watched you walk across. And I, I was standing down here looking up, thinking to myself, I wonder what that family right there is dealing with today that none of us know about. And today some of you are sitting here. And you got a big old issue hanging out in your heart. And you don't know what to do with it. And you would call it a mountain. And I would say to you today, you've been trying to probably move it a lot on your own. See, Herod did all that on his own because he wanted to be impressive. Look who I am. Let me tell you, the more you figure out who you ain't, the more you figure that out, and the more you realize it is all about Jesus, the better your mountains move. 
And today, I'm going to invite you to move some mountains by the power of the Lord. And the way I'm going to do that is, I'm just going to ask you 10 questions. I like to talk about family and marriage and that kind of stuff. I'm going to ask you 10 questions. And each one of the questions, I'm going to call it just a little bitty mustard seed. Not real big. When I ask the question, you'll go, really, that's it? Uh-huh. Just a simple little question. But if you plant the seed of this little question, if you answer it in a way you honor the Lord Jesus, you can begin to move some of the mountains in your life, in your family, in your marriage, in your extended family. Thanksgiving, when everybody comes over, might not be so bad this year. <laughs> because you plant a seed today, and you give it a chance to grow. So I'm just going to ask you 10, they're simple things, like here's the first one. When you talk to your family or your spouse, do you have a sweet spirit? What's your spirit like? Like, like, like when your family, like, you know, deals with you, isn't it like, was yesterday tough for your family because of you? Because I just got to say something. I, I believe that when Jesus spoke with his parents, his family, I think he had a sweet spirit. Uh, I have been through some trials in my life. As I stand up here, you guys, many of you for the first time are seeing me. First time you've ever met me. You need to know you're looking at a broken man, a humble man. Uh, I was a youth pastor for many years, raised my four children. I always would say, man, my kids are going to grow up loving the Lord. I'm not going to have any trials. I said that when I was 35. I cannot say that anymore. I've had incredible trials. I've had a wayward daughter, five years of waywardness when I would get up and preach and I didn't even know where she was at. Uh, one night she was beaten so bad with a baseball bat she almost lost her life. And I stand up here today to give the Lord the glory and praise because I would not have dreamed I could have survived that. If you had told me my little daughter, my little bubbles, my youngest, my easiest to raise kids she brought so much joy into my family and into my life that that little girl would go wayward and there'd be a time where daddy wouldn't even know where she's at if you had told me that i would have said to you uh-uh not me i won't go through that but i did and it was my mountain and i didn't see how it was ever going to move i gave her to the lord and i was like lord i'm just assuming i'm going to lose her forever I'm assuming she won't ever come home. I shared that with you men when I was here two years ago. I talked to you about this very thing. I need to tell you today, no, no glory to me, absolutely none. But Anna, that's her name, Anna is back with the Lord. And let me tell you something. When they are back with the Lord, it's amazing. They come home. <laughs> and for a long time, for a long time, I was just trying to get her back to her daddy. I had the wrong daddy. Because what I noticed is when she went back to God, she came home to her dad. And some of you are trying to get a child that's wayward back to you. No, just get them back to God. If they get back to God, they'll get back with you. Some of you are your marriage. You're trying to fix them. Stop trying to fix it and give it to the Lord because you can't fix it. You've been trying for 25 years. How's that working? Doesn't work. You got to give it to the Lord. And one of the ways we do that is, so, so do you have a sweet spirit in your life? Because you see, I had to take a look at myself. Forget about my wayward daughter for a second. What's it turning me into?
when you go through the trial, what do you look like? Because if Satan can use the trial to take you down, then he won. There came a day where I realized, listen, I realized this. I've got to be sweet and bring the spirit of Jesus no matter what's going on with my daughter. If the Satan can use my daughter to turn me against God and everything else, he's going to do it. So i got to go, okay, Lord, i got to go do what I am called to do. No matter what everybody in my family does, I have got to honor God. That's what you got to do. So today, some of you are in a tough spot. Maybe this message is for you today because you're an individual who is sitting here in a row in a seat all alone, none of your family came, and you have wondered to yourself, why do I keep doing this? Because your life is designed to honor God, not those people first, to honor God. And who knows, who knows, but what, there ain't some little kid in your family watching you. And they go, wow, that one seems to be faithful. We don't know. We don't know. And you need to bring a sweet spirit. It's really funny to me. So my daughter is home. Last Saturday, we spent the whole day together. We were hanging out, having fun, enjoying each other. We were riding in the car, okay? Now, this is the girl who put me through on earth. You get it? I'll leave the word out, but it's in there. She put me through it. And we're riding in the car. And she just says to me, Dad, can I mention something to you? I said, sure, baby. What, what do you want to mention to me? She said, you know, since I've been home... I've been observing you and mom, and sometimes when you talk to mom, dad, you need to really work to have a sweet spirit. I'm like, hang on one second, girl. You, after all your waywardness, going to come up in my grill? And you know what? She's right. Can I say something here? Um, when you check on this sweet spirit stuff, the people, like at church, if somebody said, does so-and-so have a sweet spirit? Always. And the family's going, uh-uh. <laughs> check with the people. When you're riding home, just say to them, hey, y'all think I have a sweet spirit? Be ready for their answer. Don't get defensive because they might point out what we call a blind spot. <laughs> and we all got them. So it really kind of leads into my second question. When your family sees you coming, is there a little leap or a little creep in their spirit? Because you see, when you walk in the house, I, I want to talk for just a second here to the teenagers who are in the room. Can I just say something to you? I remember telling my teens this. When you walk into the house, you either bring some joy or some sadness. You, you need to know your attitude can totally affect the whole mood of the house. If you walk in there and you complain about everything else, everybody else will be kind of like, man, this, is just, this takes the joy out of our home. Teenagers, let, let, me, just ask, let me just ask you, I, I don't want you to compare to your parents. Anybody. I want to ask you, when Jesus walked into his house, like with his mom and dad, do you think they dreaded seeing him come? Hmm, no. And since Jesus is your standard, well, Jesus didn't go what I went through. Hey, he walked everywhere. You need to chill a little. He walked everywhere. You're already ahead. And so I want you to understand that the life of Christ shows us no matter where you're at in life, no matter the age or stage, you need to bring a sweet spirit and you need to bring joy to your family. I, I shared it yesterday. I'll say it here. I call it the garage door test. I call it the garage door test. When, you, when you're at home and you know who's coming home and you hear the garage door going, going up, when you hear it going up, is your first thought, ah, oh, they're here. Or, shoot, they made it. I don't know, probably somewhere in between. 
hopefully somewhere in between. But the bottom line is, people have a certain thought when they hear you coming. Let me just say this about when we look at the life of Christ, unless you're a Pharisee or Sadducee, they didn't like so much seeing him come. But everybody else, they even seemed to run to meet him. They would run and wait on a mountainside just to get to see him. Wouldn't that be something if you lived that way? Wouldn't it be great if your family sees you coming and go, hang on, they're, they're coming, we want to wait for them. You must be living a pretty good godly life. So here's what I'm saying to you. If you don't have that, plant that little seed today. Plant a little seed of joy coming out of your life. Third question, do you think about their world and what they might think, what they might be dealing with? Can I just talk to parents a little bit? I talked to the teens a second. I want to flip that. Parents, can I just ask you something? If you've got like a middle schooler or you're going through that, or you've got little kids coming, just, just take your kids wherever they are right now. Do you remember being there? Take a second and think about it. Do you remember in middle school what mattered to you? Your hair. I had hair back in middle school. It's impressive. It's gone. Uh, your, the size of your nose, the size of your ears, the way your, hair, the way your clothes look. That's what, in middle school, that matters. It matters a lot. And so if your middle schooler says to you, well, I'm really struggling with this, it's something like that, and you say something like, oh, that stuff doesn't even matter, then you're forgetting that age. And wisdom as parents is remembering where your children are. When I was in middle school, my brother... We'd get on the bus. My brother's six years older. He's my only brother, only, only sibling. And he made up this song. Nobody knows like Dan's nose. He loved to make fun of my big old nose. It's a bigger nose. And in middle school, I was embarrassed of it. Now, I'm proud now, man. I can smell stuff y'all didn't even know was out there. I can, I'm way ahead of y'all. But in middle school, it was hard. And you know what's really interesting? If you don't take time to go back and travel to the world of your children... If you act like their issues are just little children issues and not remembering, we'll go back down to it, children, their issues in their mind are just as big as your issues are in your mind. In fact, they think the same thing about your issues. In fact, most of them, they look at little children, look at me and say, how could he have worry about anything? He looks like he's almost dead. Look how old he is. <laughs> you remember when you were little, you'd see old people and you'd think in your mind, almost gone. But you didn't even worry about them. How could you worry about anything, bro? You ain't got a couple more days to live. So you got to go back to their world. You got to think about what they're dealing with. <laughs> and I want to say to you, listen, if you planted that little seed today and you went home and you started actually paying attention to what the other people in your family might be thinking and feeling, it could change the whole tone of your home. It's just a little bitty seed. And Jesus could use that little seed to move them out. The fourth question, have you told them lately you're proud of them? Have you just literally said, I'm proud of you. It's kind of fun uh, in between services. I shared that first service. And in between services, I had a dad say to me, hey, my daughter just texted me and told me she's proud of me. And it doesn't happen all the time. Hey, we just kind of, well, I told them six years ago. They remember. I want to tell you something. Um, I shared this yesterday at the marriage uh, event too. You spouses. 
when your spouse says to you, I'm proud of you, like, like if you're here and you manage something at the company and everybody at the company loves you, talks to you, you know what matters even more is when your spouse says, hey, I hear you do a really good job. I'm so proud of you. Say it. Say it. Don't, don't withhold it. Because those little moments build relationship. When you look at the life of Christ, his words spoke hope into people. When he would go meet with a woman who he shouldn't even be sitting with at the well, and he sits down there, why would he even talk to her? Because he's trying to give her value. Your words in your family, in your relationships, they speak volumes. I remember when my daughter was totally wayward. I mean, I'm talking, ladies and gentlemen, she was gone. I thought never probably to return. And when I would see her in person, it was so hard as a dad. Because I love this little girl who's grown up now into a woman. I loved her. I would die for her. And I remember when I would see her, I would even prepare myself for going, okay, I don't like the way she's living. I don't like the decisions she's making. I don't like this drug junk she's got her life into. I don't like this guy that she's probably going to walk up to me and say hi with. Lord, help me find something I can tell her I'm proud of. I literally would, I would prepare myself going, find something. When she walks up, if she's got something, if, she's, if one of her hair is sticking in the right direction, just go, that's one killer hair you got there. I mean, find something. Love those shoes. I would find something because I, I still believed in my heart she needs to hear words of affirmation from her dad. It's funny. When she finally came home, I walked up to her one day when she finally had come home. She was standing in the kitchen. I said, baby, why'd you come home? I said, why'd you come home? And she said, well, dad, I woke up. I'd been drinking. I woke up at 3.30 on the morning. 3.30 one morning in South Carolina. I live in Michigan now. She said, I was in South Carolina on a picnic table all by myself. Early at 3.30 I woke up and I said to myself, what am I doing? I have a dad who has never stopped loving me. Why don't I go home to him? That faithful love. Listen to me. Some of you have a wayward child. You want to give up on them. I challenge you, don't. Tell them you love them. By the way, let me tell you, that's what God does for you. If he gave up on you, you wouldn't be here today. Because you've been a wayward child. And he loved you back. Tell them you're proud of them. Find something. Jesus brought you home. I believe he can move that mountain of your wayward child. I don't know how. I didn't think it would happen for me either. Five years. But it happened. Because Jesus can move mountains, but I can't. Number five, do you ever trap the people in your family? What I mean by this is, are you so cold-hearted on an issue? Do you have some things in your life that you, like that blind spot we talked about in the very beginning, are you willing to hear there are things about you that you need to change? Or does your family just go, it's hopeless? I'll give you a, a, a visual proof of what I'm talking about this morning. In my extended family, my great aunt, her name is Aunt Willie. 
Uh, I'm going to tell you a true story. You're not going to believe the story, but it is a true story. My son's sitting right over there. We'll come up to it. We are, I'm telling you the truth. This lady, her name's Aunt Willie, lived in this house when I was growing up as a little kid. The picture coming up on the screen. Thank you, Aiden. This is a picture of my great Aunt Willie's house. My mom always thought this house was it. We grew up in a poor little area. We didn't have a lot, and this house is, my mom always said, brick, it's brick. She always wanted red brick. And Aunt Willie built this beautiful home. Uh, it's obvious, I took this picture recently when I was driving through South Carolina, but I mean, you know, when it was first built, it was beautiful. And my mom was always like, oh, look at the awnings. Last name was Chapman. They've even got the first letter of their last name on the awnings. They finally made it. So when we would go visit my Aunt Willie at this house, you need to understand, and see if you guys can remember this with maybe your grandparents, but we would go to visit the house, and Aunt Willie was a neat freak. I'm talking about when you don't see things about yourself and everybody else feels trapped, remember? She was a neat freak, and so she put down what she called plastic runners all through the house. So when I would go visit, she'd say, come on in, Danny, and stay on the runners. So you'd go down here, and then you'd go over here, and then you're allowed to go over here. Well, she liked it because she kept the house so neat that she thought to herself, shoot, you know what I'm going to do? I like this on the floor, but I'm going to start covering my furniture with it, too. So then I'd go in and visit. She'd say, come on in, walk on the runners, and sit on the plastic. Some of y'all are laughing because your grandma did the same thing. But my great uncle, Stanley, he got tired of it. And he's like, this is nonsense. So if you look at the picture up there, in the far right corner, you can see a little bitty garage. That was the garage. We're going to zoom in on it. Aiden's going to show us. There's the, that little garage, okay, which, way, by the way, I should point out, overlooked Six Mile Mountain, the one I couldn't move. But anyway, right here is the little garage, okay? Now, my Uncle Stanley got so tired of the plastic. I'm telling you a true story. He bought a refrigerator, he bought a little stove, and a little bed cot, and he moved into the garage. He lived in there. He ate in there. He did all his work in there. He slept in there. He didn't even go in the house. And my great Aunt Willie thought this was such a good idea that she moved in with him. Yeah. Yeah, y'all think I messed up. It's in my DNA. Y'all see the two little chairs there? They sit out there and watch the sunset. Nobody went in the house. My Uncle Stanley died in the garage. Just a few months ago, they moved Aunt Willie out of the garage into a nursing home. And the house remained empty, covered with plastic. Clean as a whistle. Now, if I'd walked up to them on their wedding day, 50-something years ago, and said, Aunt Willie and Uncle I mean, Aunt Willie, Uncle Stanley, um, y'all going to get married. In about 50 years, y'all going to move out of a beautiful home into your garage. They would have said, what? Because you, we can't see this stuff about ourselves. So my question for you today, listen, I'm telling you the truth. What is your potential garage? What's the thing today 
that your family, like when you're not in the house, they say, you know what? That one little spot. If they don't do something about that, because we, we tend to not be able to see it. True story. I got I finished the rest of the story like a week and a half ago. I'm driving. I live in Grand Rapids area, Michigan, Highland area. So I'm driving up there on one of the roads. I get a call from my cousin. Her name's Joyce. She goes, guess where I just been? I said, where? She said, well, Aunt Willie passed away, and I went to her house, and I, I bought some furniture. And I said, was it clean? She said, clean? Oh, it was beautiful. Never touched. The point is somebody else is going to use all that stuff. What are we saving it for? What are we doing this for? Why, why do we get caught up in our garages? Because someday, in life's eternal view, garages and houses and runners and plastic won't matter. What will matter is the relationships. Are you pouring into your relationships? Which leads right into the question, the people in your family love to be valued and cherished. Are you meeting those needs? Do the people in your family feel like you are most important to them and they're most important to you? I've done some speaking for NASCAR. I shared this yesterday at the uh, event with the couples. My friend was the pastor of the NASCAR family and traveled with them on weekends. And so right before the race, there's a chapel service. I've had the privilege of doing that chapel service several times. And then, and then right before the race, if you ever watch a race, you will see the, um, there are people walking back and forth between the cars. Once they're sitting on the starting grid, you, if, before a race, they'll sing the national anthem, all that stuff. But if you look out there, you'll see people walking back between the cars. That's pastors. We had the privilege of going up and praying with each driver. Usually a wife will stand there if they're married. And it makes sense. I mean, you know, you're going about to go 200 miles an hour, I'll take a prayer. I mean, it, you know, people want to be prayed for like that. So I would pray for them. And then after I would finish praying on one particular time I was leaving that area and going back to where we'd watch the race with the wives I was walking with this wife and she said she said this to me we've walked away from her husband who's in the car gentlemen start your engines they're going we're walking back and she said to me Dan I just wish my husband would cherish and love me as much as he does that old car that's it that's what we all do Sitting here right now in your family, somebody would probably say to you, I just wish you loved me as much as you love that. It's easy to see it with somebody else, but what about me? What is the stuff in my life that seems to come up and get to the most important place where it shouldn't be? Just ask yourself that. Hey, if you're really bold, if you really want to plant a mustard seed today, if you really want to move a mountain, as Jesus suggested, if you really want to, ask somebody in your family. They'll help you plant that seed because they see it. Next question, is your family spouse afraid to bring certain things up because of the way you react? <laughs> is there just stuff you go, off limits, don't even touch it. We've tried before and it, woo. So um, we downsized probably three years ago. We downsized, built, built a smaller home. My kids are out of the home. And um, 
So we didn't need that bigger home. So we downsized. And, and I'm the kind of guy, it's been about three years, I'm the kind of guy, when I walk through my house, if my house, you know, the walls have got scuffs on them or grandkids come over and they kind of brush into something, I want to get that off. So I'll go down into my basement and I'll get the paint can that the color matches that wall. And I'll bring it up. Now, it's been three years. This thing's been sitting in the basement for three years. So when I go to get it and I open it up, I don't just take a paintbrush and go, oh, no big deal. I just stick it in and then I'll start painting with it. No, I don't do that. Sometimes there's even that little film of paint that has solidified and you almost got to get through it. And so what I'll do is I'll go and I'll grab what we call a stir stick. And I'll take that stir stick and I'll pop through that little canopy of paint that's sitting over the rest of it. And what you need to see now, why I do that is because after three years, what makes this paint paint, all the ingredients, all the scientific stuff that I have no idea about, but all that stuff has settled to the bottom. And if you want to really get the paint to work like it's supposed to and to match the other walls, even though there probably has been a little fading... If you want to get as close as you can, you got to get the stick down in there and you got to get the stirring. Sometimes you even take it back to the place you bought it and you say, stick it on that machine and do that thing that thing does. And in fact, let, let, let me tell you something that happens. Some of you got married 20 years ago and there's been some settling. Some of you, when that baby was born, this is the most special child in the world. And then they turned 16, and some of that love feels like it settled a little bit. <laughs> that joy. I remember when this kid was born, it was so exciting. And today, I've got some other thoughts about this kid having been born. Because it settles. I had those thoughts. I'm like, Lord, you gave me Anna. Why? It's human being. If you don't have those thoughts, then you're not a parent. And then sometimes God's got to go, well, let me tell you why I gave you that child. Because you were pretty selfish, and you couldn't see some things about yourself. And you've learned a lot about trusting Dan, because now you realize that you really aren't all that as a dad. It really was me that could draw your children to me. And life's not about you, Dan. And I needed to stir you up a little bit. How about that? How about that? And sometimes our family need a little reminding. You know, this message today is designed to stir you up a little and make you think, wow, I wonder if I have done some settling. And if you have, I would tell you this next question might fit perfectly. How often do you just really pray for them? I mean, like, seriously, pray for them. I'll tell you, my prayers for my daughter, Anna, from when she was 5 or 10 years old to when she was 16, I'm going to tell you, when she was 16 and wayward, my prayers got deeper. In fact, I would tell you, I honestly was down to the last prayer for my daughter, Honestly, my last prayer for my daughter. They were all, you know, all the dreams, all the visions, all the things. I remember my wife sitting one day and crying. And I said, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she's like, all my dreams are shattered for my little girl. That was what she said. And she's right. And we realized, wow, we got the wrong word in her. All my dreams 
all of our dreams. Wow, what if there's a bigger dream I can't see that's actually God's dream for her? What if all of a sudden I realized, wow, I guess life isn't about what I want for my children. It's about what God wants for my children that's even greater than what I can see. Because let me just say it again. Listen, God, God does what he does on purpose. There are no mistakes. If there were mistakes, I shouldn't be up here preaching today. Because I'm a flawed, messed up man. Healed by Jesus Christ. And you also, you need to understand that stuff some of you are going through today. It could be the greatest testimony that could possibly come for your life. Now, I didn't say it was comfortable. But God wants to use whatever you go through for his purposes. And if I really believe that God is God and he is sovereign, then whatever I'm going through today, if I really believe that God is God, then I say today, Jesus, I accept where you have me because obviously you're teaching me some deep things. And that prayer of, Lord, would you keep my daughter alive was my last prayer. I wasn't praying, Lord, help her go to church. Lord, help her come over and see me today. No, Lord, today... I'm down to my last prayer. Would you just keep her alive? It was awful. But it was the best thing I could learn. I'm a whole different dude today. If you're here, if you'd hear me speak 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and you had a wayward child and you came up and said, hey, Dan, I've got a wayward child. I would have went, oh, I'm so sad. Can I just pray for you? It would have been flippant. It would have been so sad. In the back of my mind, I would have thought to myself, I wonder what they did wrong. Standing here today, if you're sitting in this audience and you have a wayward child, if you come up to me afterwards, I will first hug you. I will first hug you, then I'll pray for you. There will be no condemnation from this dude because I get it. It's the most painful thing other than losing a child I think you can face. And I want you to know, God has filled me up for, with grace for parents who have wayward children. And guess why that happened? Because I had one. And I'm a different preacher today because of it. I'm grace-filled. <laughs> and I tell you today, in fact, you know what? I want to, Lord, just really lay on my heart to pray right now. Lord, right now I pray for wayward children represented by everybody in this audience. There's a bunch of them. There are Annas, there are young men, there are young women who are living a way that's contrary to what you teach, and their moms and dads, some of them single, some of them married, some of them probably grandparents who are caring for these children, they are hurting today. Their hearts ache. They don't even sleep sometimes well at night because they carry a burden. Today, God, remind them, you are God. You won't waste this. We accept it. And we surrender it. And we ask you to call our children back to you. Redeem their souls. Do not allow harm to come to them. Protect them. Call them home. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, 
go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225-753-2273.